0: You know that we're able And that alone makes us major We can all sit in the table And grow in this favor Say yeah Say yeah
1: Say yeah, Say yeah. Welcome to the Western Revolution Show yeah. So for men and the people who love them where we discuss how men can find and embrace the best and healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpro, surrounded by my people, my producer, Rachel Graham, the man behind the wheels of steels. <laughs> Kendall the jazz man, Williams. What's up, everybody? How you doing? Hope your week's been good. I remember um, a couple years ago, I'm not going to date myself. Everybody knows how old I am by now. Yes, exactly. But my parents and I used to have a residence in Aruba, and we would go every other year to check it out and have a good time, spend some time at the beach. I met some great people, my good friend Pam, who lives in Denver, just some amazing people. But I remember one time sitting on the flight with this older white gentleman, and we struck up a really good conversation. couple hours flying down to Aruba, you know, you can talk about all kinds of things, what you're going to do on the beach, where you're going to go, what are you going to eat, you're going to... Sky skydive all the different things but he wanted to talk about real estate and he gave me this advice he said you know what I've been able to I'm 60 years old I started buying houses when I was 40 He said I bought one house every year for 20 years he said now I'm in the midst of selling one house every year for the next 20 years and I can retire and that stuck with me that stuck with me this idea of buying real estate to create wealth although I have not followed his plan The interesting thing, there was his plan and how he was being being able to create wealth. He talked about all the things that he was able to do with the residual of the income that he was getting from now all of his 20 properties. How he was going to continue to make money from those properties and what he was going to do if he had the opportunity to pass them down, pass that money down to his kids. Oftentimes, we as people of color, as men of color, don't think about generational wealth. How are we passing down the knowledge one and the wealth two to our children? Shout out to Quince Griffin and my main man, Leon Kesey, who have those ideals and principles down pat. As we continue on our access to capital and growing our wealth, our knowledge, and as well as the money in our pockets, I have today a new person to the show, but one of the authorities on real estate and wealth, Damon Burns, executive director of the Finance Authority of New Orleans. Damon, what's up, brother? How you doing?
2: Thank you, Doc. Thanks for having me on today. I'm oh sure
1: man, you. he went formal. Call me Doc, man. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it, brother. We ask We're every in your house, man. Oh man, no, it's it's Rachel's house. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it is. You're not even paying attention, um, brother. We ask everybody, what's your revolution?
2: What's my revolution? So my my personal revolution at this point in time, at, at this point in, uh, in my life, is to give back to the city of New Orleans through um, my job, my work. You know, the Finance Authority is a quasi-governmental agency, and we're here to serve the people of New Orleans. So um, my, mind, my mindset at this point, point in time is on complete service and doing my job to help new orleans have a better quality of life
1: no doubt no doubt and and that's what we that's what we need we need people who are in that business of service you know i think about my fraternity man service and that's what we do and how how we make sure as a people that those people who call new orleans new orleans home everybody that calls new orleans home has the ability to thrive we talk about equity and all types of things we're going to talk about equity and housing today and what that means for us as well quick question for you, brother What's your favorite real estate book?
2: My favorite real estate book? Oh, uh, probably Black Label White Wealth.
1: Mm, tell me about it.
2: That's an interesting book because it talks about how real estate wealth was acquired in this country. Mm. It gives a detailed account of how the, the federal government and state governments um, took land. I won't say acquired. <laughs> they took land and redistributed right. that land to individuals coming to New uh, coming to, um the so-called new world, to make a make a life. So uh, the transfer of, of real estate wealth from uh, one group of people to another group of people happened through the federal government, and it actually sets the tone for understanding how our system works today, even though it happened 300-some-odd years ago.
1: Right. It was very interesting. I went to uh, the Racial Equity Institute training. I don't know if you've been. I have been, actually. Yeah, and you've seen that timeline. Yeah. And it is very interesting, Damon, to look at – When Bay, Bay Love is a good, 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 good man. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to call him a brother (laughs) because, you know what I'm saying, good man. But he really details the transfer of wealth that is going on in our country. Mm -hmm. And if you think about, you know, some of the people we've had on the show in the last couple of weeks, that the average household of color, and particularly African-American household, has a savings of Mm $11,000, right? $11,000, where conversely – our white counterparts ever over a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. And, and because of that transfer of wealth, and you think about redlining that happened in, in the, the 1900s and 1950s where certain neighborhoods, and you know, you, you, you could detail this much better than I can, but certain neighborhoods we devalued, devalued and others were valued and how those homes have increased over time. And the loss of value for us, we haven't been able to transfer that wealth down. And so it's been very, very interesting. Let's talk a little bit more about the Finance Authority, just so people know.
2: What do you do? The Finance Authority is a quasi-governmental agency, and I I know that word sounds a little strange, but (laughs) all that really means is uh, we were created by the City Council of New Orleans, but we were created to operate um, as a private financial institution, or, or at least I should say a publicly owned financial institution. And the reason they did that is so that uh, us, the finance authority, could make investments where commercial banks weren't making those investments. I so you talk you. about how wealth was created in this country and redlining and all those things. Well, it takes capital; it takes access to capital in order to uh, even own a piece of real estate, own anything for that exactly. matter. So uh, the finance authority was created to create that access to capital and to create programs that that serve the gaps that we have here in our, in our city. So that started out um, in home ownership. And since that time, we've evolved into uh, other areas, other community needs, like multifamily uh, community projects or, I should say, commercial projects or infrastructure projects that are around the housing that gotcha. we're investing in.
1: So that systems perspective thinking, when you unwrap the community, you unravel it, you see the inroads that actually make the community work. And right. ensuring that people have an opportunity to, to invest to put their time and resources there. Sure. That's an amazing thing because when we think about community outcomes and we think about community health, oftentimes we think about these one-to-one relationships, home ownership, but peeling out the small businesses mm-hmm. that actually are are the backbones of communities and get, and finding that out and where can they go? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago with my man Daniel White, um, Daniel Applewhite from Trepwise – Not Trepwise, I can't even get it together today. From Propeller, exactly. And how that access to capital, uh, him and Aaron Walker and Roderick Miller, really had a, a, a good conversation about how hard it is to get access to capital. And so is the Finance Authority one of those means for people to get access to capital or at least find out how to get access to capital to make their businesses thrive?
2: That's right. So we, we were uh, created to be a lane for that access to capital. So right now, if you go on the Finance Authority's website, you'll see a program called Own New Orleans. And that program is a mortgage program that provides, uh, um, families making up to $99,000 a year, whether it's one fam- one person in that house or four people in that house, it doesn't matter. Most people in New Orleans make below that amount, so. Um, in that program, we provide families with the mortgage as well as the assistance needed to access the mortgage. Wow. And so that, that sets the finance authority apart because usually when you go to a financial institution, it's usually just a loan. Mm-hmm. There's no assistance. You right. Know, unless right. It, unless exactly. it's a special circumstance. So as a public entity, we need to facilitate or we want to facilitate home ownership because we think it's good for our people, it's good for the quality of life, and it's good for our community. So the finance authority takes its resources uh, to help deals happen where they otherwise would not happen.
1: Wow, wow, and why am I just hearing about this? You know I'm, I'm lost, but it sounds like this is one of those levers in the system that mm-hmm. you all are a major lever in the system, and many people need to know what you all have the ability to do. That's amazing. yes that that's amazing. So let's pull back a little bit and really dive down into how does owning real estate or creating real estate through wealth and this is a part of the show, allow people to find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves?
2: Well, I I was looking at an article just the other day in preparation for coming to the show, and uh, the article talked about wealth. Where is the wealth in this country? And it had a nice pie chart, and it broke it down. Well, most people's wealth in this country is tied up in real estate, Mm -hmm. in in their own uh, house, their personal homestead. Uh, Another big chunk of that is in business ownership. And so those two areas are are usually looked at uh, as mutually exclusive. But if you really think about it, they go hand in hand. So, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, whenever you bought real estate, you were probably going to farm on that real estate, too. Well, today, you're just probably living in there. You're running a business out of it. Uh, So all all of that to say is that uh, when the federal government opened up the market for individuals to start buying homes, because it wasn't always that way. When it did that, it created access for certain groups of people, uh, namely white Americans and not black Americans or other ethnic groups. Um, So real estate uh, became an open marketplace, and people were able to start buying real estate for their personal account. Um, And most people buy real estate and don't own a business. So most Americans have their wealth. If they do own a home, it's in their house. It's in the equity that that they get for it, that they've earned from buying that home. So it's really important to the day-to-day. And how does it affect someone? Well, if you own your own house, uh, you have a little bit more control over your destiny. You're able to create some residual wealth. So once you decide to sell that home or rent it out, that's income or cash flow on top of what you didn't have before. Exactly. And it allows you just a better quality of life. It allows you to go on a vacation. It allows you to send your, your children to maybe a different school or live in a different neighborhood, whatever the case might be. Having access to capital creates more access to capital.
1: It does. You're exactly right. You listened to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles corpru talking about how do we create wealth through real estate with the executive director of the Finance Authority of New Orleans, Damon Burns, and really unpacking what it means to really have real estate and what it does for you to create the healthiest versions of yourself. And like you're saying is that owning your own home is really actually owning one part of your business it is a business and as you continue to put more into that house you could actually grow that business that's right you know i think about my parents who bought a home in nineteen seventy one six months after i was born and that house now that's that's a part of our wealth you know and fortunately as i've talked about is that they have the ability to pass that wealth down now they bought that home for forty two thousand dollars the house is now paid off, and the house is well over $250,000 now. So that is a part of our wealth. that is, that is They bought into a business, as you said, and I, I love that analogy, mm-hmm. for $42,000, and now that business is worth $250,000. So I, I really love that analogies. And so as we begin thinking about, okay, I've got a couple of houses now, um, but if I were beginning – And so there are a lot of stories out there about people buying multiple properties at a time, people having large large portfolios of property, right? Mm -hmm. But many investors talk about the importance of the first house, right? Why is it so important? I guess – you know why is it so important for the investor to think about that first
2: house? Well, I think even if you're buying that house to live in, uh, for your family to live in, it's still an investment. And it's important because – Uh, it could set the tone for future purchases. One thing that a bank likes to see, uh, which is where most of these home purchases are financed, one thing a bank likes to see is credit, uh, an asset base. They like to see that uh, in an event of emergency, you have something to fall back on. Uh, And the flip side of that is having an asset base allows you to grow into other assets. So, you know, people do it different ways. Everybody has their own approach, but I've seen situations where someone will buy a house and uh, live in it for a couple of years, and then move out and rent it out, and then go buy another one. Or they'll buy a small house in a growing neighborhood, Mm -hmm. let let it appreciate for a few years, sell it, and then go buy another home, a bigger home in another neighborhood that is of higher value. So we get families that come to us all the time with these different stories. Everyone has their own approach, but the reality is... Um, developing your assets is number one, or buying your first house is the first step to developing your asset base. Even if you want to buy, build a business.
1: Right, exactly.
2: You know, that's an asset that you have that you that you can use as leverage to access cash or just access the resources you need to start a business. You know, right. whatever whatever kind of business that might be.
1: I gotcha, and that so that for that first house is key. I remember buying my first house, and. Again, you know, I have to be thankful for the people who have come before me. And my grandmother, God bless her so, um, Stella... Stella Stella Lee Halsey Bryant made sure that I could go out and buy my first house. Bought a small little life insurance policy way back when. It was like, ended up being like five or six thousand dollars. And when she passed, that policy came to me and it allowed me to put the down payment on my first house. And that first house now allowed me to get my second house, right? right? I still rented it out. And now that house, I've had it for almost 20 years, uh, about to sell it Mm -hmm. and be able to. Then use it to be able to buy another, maybe even two properties because of the equity that was built in. And if I didn't have my grandmother, you know, I, I was 25. I didn't have, I didn't have five or six thousand dollars. I was just out of college, just out of grad school, and just started teaching, but it was there. And so that, that generational, even though it was small, that small generational wealth that she was able to pass down. And I think that's another conversation that we have down the road, life insurance and different things and how to build that to be able to pass that down. Um, That first house is really key, and as I continue to grow as an investor, I look back, and we have to have that ability to look back, brother. Um, I put the questions out to my Facebook family, and I have a mastermind group, of, and that tends to be the question. How do we build – and create wealth through real estate. So they sent me a, a wealth of questions. So I hope that you allow me to ask some yeah, of the please. questions of the mastermind. One of the things as we talk about getting past that first house and thinking about what what that looks like, one of the questions was what's the most important thing to think about when buying investment property, cost, return on investment, or
2: yield? Hmm. I would say that depends. It okay. depends on what, what kind of neighborhood or community you're buying into. So – If I'm buying into an undeveloped area or an area that has some growth potential, then I'm I'm more concerned with price appreciation. Okay. If I'm buying in a more stable neighborhood where the prices are what they are, uh, but I can get good income, then I'm more worried about yield.
1: Okay. And all so right.
2: it, it depends on uh, what you're actually trying to accomplish on the ground and, and what kind of neighborhood, what the demographics of that neighborhood looks
1: like. I gotcha. And yield is basically w- what are you making after all of the expenses? That's right. Yeah, all of the expenses. And there's some interesting formulas out there when you think about investment, probably whether they be commercial or whether they be uh, individual investment or residential. Interesting formulas, thinking about um, vacancy rates, thinking about repairs. Thinking about uh, management costs, all of these different things get you to your bottom line at the end of the day. And what would you say is probably, if I, if I'm an investor thinking about that, that a percentage would say, okay, this is a good percentage for me to go into this deal if, if I'm looking at yield on my return on investment. Um,
2: what 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 would be a good return on? investment?
1: Yes, good return on investment.
2: Um, so that that too depends on where the market is and what your alternatives look like. So. Uh, what I mean by that is, what most investors do is they'll look at, okay, if I did nothing with this money, if I just wanted to keep it in the bank on my savings account, how much would I make? Um, if I wanted mm. to put it into the stock market, right, what would I make? Now, what am I going to make on this real estate property? So, so usually, as a rule of thumb, um, privately owned or directly owned real estate uh, investors. Generally, want a higher return right. because they're more involved, they're more invested versus a, a more passive situation where they might accept less. So, uh, one good way for an, an individual investor to do this is to look at what they could earn by investing investing in a publicly traded uh, REIT or real estate investment trust. Right,
1: right. Okay. Good. Good. So, so
2: that that is accessible to everyone. So if you go on um, uh, or look up real estate investment trusts on, on Google, it'll bring you to a few websites and it'll tell you what kind of yield you can get from owning a portfolio of real estate property that you'll never touch, you'll never see, <laughs> but they'll send you a check for investing in, in their operation. Right. So that's the easy way to do it. That
1: is the easy way to do now, it.
2: Now, if you want more, if you think you can uh, get a better return, then you go buy a property yourself.
1: And manage it. And it.
2: your community, and you ma- and you manage it. And uh, from a risk perspective, more risk, more return. So I if I'm going to take on more risk, I better be earning a, a more return on that direct owned property than I would on that property I'm, I'm owning through a real estate investment trust.
1: Unpack that for so people who don't understand a uh, uh, REIT, a uh, real estate investment trust, and. What is that and how do I, like you said, you can go Google, but if I want to invest in it, do I have to just, you know, find out who, can I go through Scott Trade, TD Ameritrade, you know, what is it and how do I go find it?
2: So first of all, a real estate investment trust is simply a a publicly owned real estate company. It's a company that buys and holds real estate and leases it out, uh, whether it be to commercial tenants, multifamily property, retail, et cetera. Um, These real estate investment trusts offer stock to the public. And an individual can buy stock in a real estate investment trust in the same way that you can buy stock in a company like Apple or Google or Amazon. So if you have a Scott Trade account, if you have a, a local broker that you work with, what you do is you go to that broker and say, I'm, I'm interested in real estate investment trust, and they should be able to give you a list of options. Right. Because it's just a different form of a stock. That's all it is. I got you. It's just a stock, but a stock that owns real estate. So if you buy that stock, you end up owning a portfolio of real estate. Because that's the, what the company owns.
1: I got gotcha. so you. And so it's so it's less risk.
2: It is less risk because you have professional management. You have diversification. You know, more than likely, this uh, company that you're investing will have millions um, in assets, right. you know, hundreds of millions in assets sometimes. So you're, you own a small piece of a big operation with a REIT, with a real estate investment trust. Versus, you no, know, I, I, you know, Charles is my man. Me and here, we're gonna get together. We're gonna buy a double. On on Gentilly, and we're gonna rent it out one side out for uh, long term tennis, the other side out for the, the jazz fest and, <laughs> and the Airbnb. So I would expect a different kind of return if we're gonna be hands on, you know, hands on on the ground, maybe even doing some of the work ourselves, versus if I'm just gonna put my money into a passive investment like a real estate investment trust
1: right, or the right. stock market. But
2: it is a good comparison for someone interested in in real estate.
1: And that goes that goes back to that first question about costs. ROI yield and, and and the different perspectives of that and I love the way that you actually put it in perspective where can I make comparing to saving stock market housing yeah you know and oftentimes people will diversify their portfolio and and do all three mm-hmm. uh, and, and think about that I have a good friend like I said and he has put most of his money into real estate owns about forty or fifty properties now uh, of real estate What's the term? He's a real estate investor, but there's a, 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 another term for it when you have so many properties. Mm-hmm. Can't, and he was like, yeah, I don't even worry about taxes anymore because he, he has the ability to write off so much. Right.
2: Um, and for, did it take him a while to, to accumulate Oh yeah, portfolio? It, yeah,
1: it, it took him a long time to accumulate that portfolio. But again, going back to has the ability, has two sons, has the ability to now to pass down that wealth. Sure. And And that is the biggest thing. You talked about risk. Talked about risk. I want to make sure everybody knows. I'm talking to Damon Burns, executive director of the finance authority of New Orleans, and we're talking about how to build wealth through real estate. It's risky. Mm-hmm. It's risky business. It's not like you're just going to walk into, you know, this process and ex- expect to make money every time. What are some of the risks that people can encounter as they think about investing in either commercial or residential. And if you want to break it down either way, go, go right ahead.
2: Sure. So I, the first thing I say is going back to your other comment about what metric should I be looking at as a real estate investor. And I would say for any investment, no matter if it's real estate, a business, a stock, or whatever it is, uh, what price are you paying and what value are you getting? So that's, that's a real simple uh, way of thinking about things. And that's not mine. I, I stole that from Warren Buffett, we a lot of his stuff, he talks about that. Any successful investor talks about that. So mm-hmm. it's price versus value. Right. And oh, I'm big on that. Yeah.
1: I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm huge on that. There are certain things i will be like, you know what? What? It's like my brain automatically just like, okay, what's the value? I mean, what's the value in this? Right.
2: Right. Because if you think about it, if the price you pay is exactly equal to the value that you get, then you're not going to make much money. Right. But if the price you pay is below what is really value? Mm-hmm. Then that's where your opportunity comes in. So whether you're looking at residential or commercial, the first thing you should really be thinking is: what price am I paying to get into this? Versus what value am I getting today? And what value am I going to get five, Man. ten years down the line?
1: You are dropping it.
2: And, you are. and, and so from there, I would say that, um, you know, it's the 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 risk involved is that it's an operation. It's a business. Owning owning one piece of property is a business. In and of itself, you know, we own property at the finance authority, so we have that, that part of our management, uh, part of that is our management requirement. So in, in the, the risk that you take on a, a residential or a commercial property, uh, really has to do with the operation of it. Are you, a, are you equipped to operate it? Are you equipped to fix things when they go wrong? Are you equipped to deal with management issues, whether it's one or ten people in the building? Um, and then beyond that, it's, uh, what kind of return are you going to get over the long run? So it's really about the price you pay up front, and then how well you can manage that building in between, and that's where all of the risk lies. I can get I can get into much more in terms. No of doubt,
1: no point. doubt, and 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 that's what people have to think about because oftentimes we just look at that bottom line. And the residual costs are, sometimes are physical and psychological labor that go along with it as well. The 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 risk is how much time and energy am I going to have to think about yeah. this property or this business?
2: Time you is know, money.
1: Time is money. Time is and you know a, a, as a business person you think about how can I make sure what price am I paying right and what value am I getting? I am huge and I love that you said that that price and value you know and. Oftentimes we want to undervalue, yeah. right? Especially when we're buying a house. All right, we want to buy buy low, make sure the value side that is going to increase. I think about the value of people as well. I actually, if somebody's going to manage my property, I, I'll pay a little bit more to make sure that I don't have to think about it because I value that time. Right. I value my time. As we go to break, what what's another risk that people might want to think about? Like if I want to want to buy a property in Lafayette, what's the risk of me doing a long distance? Purchase rather than buying in New Orleans
2: goes back to management. Who's going to manage that property for you? Because right. the the devil's in the details, and <laughs> your your return, the value of your return is only going to be as good as you you manage it in the, in the in the minimum time. So from the time you buy it to the time you sell it, how well do you manage it? Because guess what, if you don't don't manage it well, after five years, seven years, you want to sell it, that buyer is not going to pay you for the value you think your property is worth right. because you didn't keep it up. Throughout that time. So if you're going to buy remotely, you need to make sure you have partners in those markets that can help you manage that property so you can get your your value out at the end of the the project.
1: And that's the biggest thing, you know, when as we come back from the break, we're going to talk about, you know, is partnership, you know, the piece or the way to go because you're mitigating some of that individual risk. You know, we'll talk about that after the break. You listen to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corporal sitting here with my man Damon Burns, Executive Director of the Finance Authority of New Orleans, talking about how you can create wealth through real estate. Join us on the other side as we continue this conversation. It's the What's Your Revolution show.
3: In these chaotic times, are you B, B, and D, broke, busted, and disgusted, in a search of a life changing, soul stirring experience? Join me, Father Anthony M. Bozeman, SSJ, and the faith family of St. Raymond and St. Leo the Great for our seventh annual old fashioned tent revival. From Sunday, April the 8th through Wednesday, April the 11th, 6 p.m. at Lehman Playground on the corner of Lafitte and Claiborne Avenue. We are bringing Jesus to his people through dynamic preaching and Holy Spirit-inspired music by outstanding gospel recording artists. Come and join us as we lift up our community in praise. It's a love thing. Times are you B, B, and D, broke, busted, and disgusted, in a search of a life changing, soul stirring experience? Join me, Father Anthony M. Bozeman, SSJ, and the faith family of St. Raymond and St. Leo the Great for our seventh annual old fashioned tent revival from Sunday, April the 8th through Wednesday, April the 11th, 6 p.m. at Lehman Playground on the corner of Lafitte and Claiborne Avenue. We are bringing Jesus to his people through dynamic preaching and Holy Spirit inspired music by outstanding gospel recording artists. Come and join us as we lift up our community in praise. It's a love thing. These chaotic times are you B, B, and D, broke, busted, and disgusted in a search of a life-changing, soul-stirring experience. Join me, Father Anthony M. Bozeman, SSJ, and the Faith Family of St. Raymond and St. Leo the Great for our 7th Annual Old Fashioned Tent Revival. From Sunday, April the 8th through Wednesday, April the 11th, 6 p.m. at Lehman Playground on the corner of Lafitte and Claiborne Avenue. We are bringing Jesus to his people through dynamic preaching and Holy Spirit-inspired music by outstanding gospel recording artists. Come and join us as we lift up our community in praise. It's a love thing. Times are you B, B, and D, broke, busted, and disgusted, in a search of a life changing, soul stirring experience? Join me, Father Anthony M. Bozeman, SSJ, and the faith family of St. Raymond and St. Leo the Great for our seventh annual old fashioned tent revival from Sunday, April the 8th through Wednesday, April the 11th, 6 p.m. at Lehman Playground on the corner of Lafitte and Claiborne Avenue. We are bringing Jesus to his people through dynamic preaching and Holy Spirit-inspired music by outstanding gospel recording artists. Come and join us as we lift up our community in praise. It's a love thing. chaotic times are you b b and d broke busted and disgusted in a search of a life-changing soul-stirring experience join me father anthony m bozeman ssj and the faith family of st raymond and st leo the great for our seventh annual old-fashioned tent revival from sunday april the 8th through wednesday april the 11th 6 p.m at lehman playground on the corner of lafitte and claiborne avenue We are bringing Jesus to his people through dynamic preaching and Holy Spirit-inspired music by outstanding gospel recording artists. Come and join us as we lift up our community in praise. It's a love thing. Chaotic.
0: Order in the court. Order in the court. Pastor David Pontan, you have been charged with three counts of exposing the truth about alkaline, ionized, microclustered, oxygenated water. On the first count, exposing the facts about acid water and alkaline, ionized, microclustered, oxygenated water. How do you plead? Your Honor, I plead guilty. On the second count, educating the public of the fact that all diseases are anaerobes and microbes and that they are unable to survive in the presence of oxygen, as proven by Dr. Otto Warburg, winner of two Nobel Prizes. How do you plead? Your Honor, I plead guilty. On the third count... Informing the public of how they can acquire a product or equipment that can provide them with alkaline, ionized, microclustered, oxygenated water. How do you plead? Your Honor, I plead guilty. This court accepts your plea of guilty, and in accordance, this court finds you guilty on all three counts and hereby sentences you to continue informing the public of the truth about alkaline, ionized, microclustered, oxygenated water. Is there anything you'd like to say, Pastor 10
3: Yes, Your Honor. I would just like to say that you can purchase one case of 9.5 alkaline ionized microclustered oxygenated water for $35, three cases on sale for $100, or purchase your own water ionizer machine for as little as $1,480. Call right now, 504-701-4711. That's 504-701-4711. Thank you, Johanna.
4: New Orleans, we hope you're ready for the 2018 French Quarter Festival presented by Chevron. It's Louisiana's largest free music festival. 2018 marks the 35th anniversary of the festival and the 300th anniversary of the city. To celebrate, there will be a tricentennial stage located in the Jack's Brewery parking lot. It's the 2018 French Quarter Festival (laughs) happening April 12th through the 15th and the price is absolutely free. Make sure to bring your appetite to enjoy New Orleans dishes for more than 60 food vendors scattered throughout the historic French Quarter. VIP experiences and passes can be Purchase. For more information, make sure to log on at FQFI.org. This year's musical lineup includes Irma Thomas, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band, Partners in Crime, and the Big Easy Band featuring DJ Jubilee, Cupid, and the Dance Party Express Band, Bag of Donuts, Robin Barnes, and the Firebirds, Chocolate Milk, James Andrews, John Boutique, Shamar Allen, and the Underdogs, the Stooges Brass Band, Amanda Shaw, Zero Neville Swamp Funk, Rockin' Doopsy Jr., and the Zydeco Twisters, the Brassaholics, and many more. So come out April 12th through the 15th to celebrate the 35th anniversary of the French Quarter Festival presented by You're listening to WBOK New Orleans. The following program is a paid program that doesn't necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the staff, management, and advertisers of WBOK.
1: Welcome back to the Rusty Revolution show. As we sit here with my man, Damon Burns, as we talk about creating... Real Estate Through Wealth. Hope everybody's doing well on this Wednesday afternoon. Coming up on Easter this weekend. Supposed to be nice here in New Orleans. Should be a good time. Damon, you know, one of the conversations that has come up really particularly here in New Orleans, and actually this is a conversation now that's been happening all across the country, is the impact of Airbnb. And so many investors are thinking about, I can make more money renting short term some people coming in for the weekend paying 100 150 200 depending on where you are in your property then renting it out to long term people what do you think are the advantages and disadvantages one of long term versus Airbnb
2: mm-hmm. well it, it's an interesting subject because it depends on who you're talking to so, right so with with the internet and so many uh, online products t- today or online access you can buy a property from New York and buy a property in New Orleans, or you could buy a property from somewhere else in, in the world,
1: right? Right, site right. uh,
2: Sight unseen. And that happens a lot here. I don't have the data that says how, mu- how much that has happened versus the other scenario. But on the flip side of that, uh, we try to get people to buy doubles in our program so that they, that they, they can rent out the other side to provide income. So mm-hmm. when you're talking about... Someone that's here, a native, or someone that has lived here for a while and, and pays taxes here and lives here and works here, well, we want them to get that opportunity for additional income. Exactly. But the double-edged sword uh, uh, side of that is anybody can buy. It's a free market. So people with access to capital, money is real cheap right now, interest rates are lower than they ever have been. Wow. So wow. If, if going back to your earlier conversation, if you already have assets, it's easier to get more assets. Exactly. And so Keep you that credit money. up that's right and then and and if it's an airbnb you can buy without putting much work into it because somebody only has to live there for a couple two of or day. three days right and so we're seeing and i'm seeing this personally as i'm looking for housing is that um the quality of the housing isn't being kept up it isn't being maintained nor is it being invested in um by these uh absent investors or external investors so while on one hand i think it's positive because it means that there's more property tax revenue for the city it's bringing more people in it you know gives people more access to New Orleans but on the same hand, the people that live here every day uh, it limits the housing opportunities when we already have a stretched housing supply.
1: Right and I think that's the concern as I've thought about buying property here in New Orleans and what is the moral imperative that I have as an investor thinking about number one, wanting to make income? Um, because that's why you invest in property, wanting to make income and and wanting to have a yield and build that wealth. That's why we're having this conversation. But also knowing that many of our people are being pushed out of the city and having a hard time to get back. I mean, you know how hard it is if you don't have transportation to come in from the east, uh, what that looks like, or uh, the transportation out to Metairie uh, and Kenner and to get back into the city. And knowing that the... The housing market, the, the rental market is so squeezed because of short-term rentals. And so it was a really interesting conversation. And many of the people in my mastermind kind of asked that question is where does the moral imperative come in? Is there a policy solution to this that everybody benefits from? So I think that's my next question to you. What is the policy solution where everybody, the Airbnb and the long-term renters can find some common ground?
2: Well, I know that the the city council and and a lot of other groups are working on what those policies look like. We don't have a specific policy ourselves at the finance authority, but from from my purview, um, I think it's important to have certain regulations on uh, how many of these units can be rented out, uh, how much of an impact is it having on the neighborhoods. And and it also needs to be sort of an open-ended thing, if you ask me, because the city is always in a position where it's looking to – fund operations. It's mm-hmm. looking to fund more streets, more improvements, more roads. So oftentimes you find uh, city officials or just uh, agency leaders in a position where it's hard to turn down investment right? because on one hand it, it increases the property tax roll, but it, t- it also takes something else away at the same time. So I think there's a policy that needs to balance both of those. And I, and, and, and I really don't think you can do it without studying the data.
1: Right. and, I'm and I don't a big know da- that
2: that has happened yet. No,
1: and I'm a big data wonk myself, a yeah. policy wonk as well. And trying to think about how data can inform policy, oftentimes it is emotion that, yes. that funds policy, uh, emotionally funds policy. It's a very, very interesting thing to see that. And I read an article a couple months ago about the impact of Airbnb on communities in New Orleans mm-hmm. and the impact of Airbnb on community, particularly on communities of color across the country and how one house, one house that is an Airbnb can shift the dynamics of a small community because you have that transient nature of people coming in and out. And this article detailed one house on a block and how, uh, it became an Airbnb. And one weekend they had a bachelorette party. And this is a, a, you know, a blustering neighborhood with children playing in the streets. All of these people's community. And this bachelorette party. And so to indicate that it was a bachelorette party, they put up blow up penises uh, all over. And so now the children in the street had to see that. Right. And so there were some parents who were just floored, you know, upset that now this house, Airbnb, anybody from off the street can come in, put these balloons up. Uh, and now the children were seeing that. And so many of the people actually decided to leave. And so this, this leaving out of the community now opens houses up. And then now other people are coming in and say, well, there's one Airbnb here. We can put more Airbnbs, and it changes the dynamics of that community, just one Airbnb. Yes. Airbnb. So it was really interesting to see that article and see the impact. Other people are saying, well, if there's an opportunity for me to sell that property at a higher market rate now because of the opportunities for Airbnb, I can make money and go. So we're losing community in various ways so it's very very interesting from the moral perspective how do we how do we balance that
2: and I don't think Airbnb has been around ten years yet
1: it hasn't yeah no I remember I was just graduating from Tulane in two thousand eleven and a friend said to me, uh, my boyfriend and I are going out to an Airbnb out in Arizona and I was thinking you're going to you know some camper right." You know, um, you can listen to the beginnings of Airbnb on how I built this on NPR. So it's really, really interesting to hear their story. It sounds great. Mm-hmm. But from a systems perspective, you know, we, we're seeing some of the destruction of our communities, uh, particularly in, in, in cities where blighted properties have then have been bought up and then Airbnb'd and shifted, moving people out.
2: And, 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 you know, this situation is just something tangible that people can see. Usually this happens with technology Mm -hmm. and a lot of jobs are lost or or destroyed. Some are created in the process. But when you start talking about real estate and it's where people have to live and it's, it's something physical, now you can see it. And now you can see it impact the neighborhood. So... Airbnb is one example. You got the Uber. Exactly. exactly. That that was an issue uh, politically Mm -hmm. and and, and, um, uh, with our city council and and the cab drivers here. So that was an issue. Uh, And you'll see it in other ways, too. I went to Atlanta not long ago and had a chance to go to their new stadium. Right. And there's no one taking your ticket anymore. It's all technology. Really? So you could see the jobs being Mm. moved. And and if you think about that in the context of New Orleans, a lot of people would depend on jobs at the Superdome as a second or third source of income. Right. And we're about to start losing those things, too. So that's why I think the answer to to all of these issues is really a, a comprehensive look by the public sector. And working with the private sector to figure out what do we want our city to look like going forward, because we're getting ready to see a lot more change. Right. And, and Airbnb is just one example of that.
1: Exactly. You listen to the What's a Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corlperu, sitting here with the executive director of the Finance Authority for New Orleans, Damon Burns, having a great conversation just about how to create wealth through real estate, the risks, the pitfalls, options, Airbnb. So I, I'm that investor now, Damon. You know, I, and I'm, I'm just being um, not facetious, but uh, putting it out there, it's not me. But I'm that investor, and I'm I'm beginning, right? I'm not the season. We're going to talk about the seasoned investor in one second. But what's a good property, you know? And how do I distinguish that from a bad property, particularly here in New Orleans?
2: I would say uh, a good property is um, one going back to our first test: what's the price you're going to pay versus what's the value you're going to get. So what are you looking to do as an investor? Are you looking to go into a situation where you just buy something that's already operating and you can hold it? Or are you looking for something that you can improve or build value into and then turn it around? So I, I would say and that those are two different answers in, in, in that situation. Right. If you're looking to build something from the ground up or something that's blighted, then it's a question of um how how bad of a shape how bad a shape <laughs> is that property in? Right. And do you have the resources the skill and the time to bring it up to standard.
1: That's what I wanted to hear: the resources, the skill, and the time. And I think in that process, for some, and I say this for some, is a level of or a lack of fear. And I say that because uh, some of the um, the partnership opportunities that I, have been presented, I have presented some things to them in places that they would say, "No, I don't want to. I, I, I'm I don't want to be in that part of town. I, I'm a little scared." Right, and so how does that that fear factor? But like you said, you can have a dilapidated property, but if you have the skill, the resources, the time, right, and someone to manage, as we talked about earlier, you might be able to bring that property up. And so I think that's the determining right. factor. You're gonna pay more money for something that's turnkey. Right. Right.
2: That's right. You're gonna play. You're gonna pay a price that's already closer to the value, if it's something that's already turnkey. So if you if you decided that you want to go in mid city, for example, around city city park. A lot of those houses are stable, not a lot of movement going on. Uh, You don't see a lot of uh, rental property in the area necessarily, or or, maybe you're starting to see more Airbnbs. Right. But if it's a property that's already fixed up, maybe it needs a a small amount of improvement. Well, you're already paying paying close to value. Right. And that's okay if you're going to be renting it out for a yield that is suitable to you.
1: Right. And that's what you have to think about. Exactly. Right. That, that yield, if you can, if you're going to pay premium price, you've got to have, make sure that you have premium
2: rent. That's right. That's, that's exactly right.
1: And so one thing the investors have to think about as you crunch the numbers is knowing what the rental market looks like Mm -hmm. in those various places. You right. know, and so what what do you am I getting twelve hundred here or am I getting fifteen hundred? Can I get the max amount? And what do I have to do in this property to actually get the maximum amount of rent? And you have to think about that. Do I really have to turn this property to get the maximum amount of rent? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's something that's key. Um let's talk about financing for a second. One thing that the, I know the finance authority does is these different types of options. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for the seasoned investor? Can the seasoned investor come to the finance authority?
2: Right now, we don't have an investor focused program. Okay. Our, right. our program um, is specifically for home buyers, but I will say, and I, I tell home builders this all the time. So, if, if you are a person that has that skill to put homes back together, or you have a team, either you're going to have the skill yourself, or you're going to have a team of people that can do it on your behalf. Uh, if you are a person that can do that, um, you can build homes for people in our program. Okay. So, it's, it's a different way of looking right, at it. Right, it's, not exactly. a, it's not a direct benefit to the investor necessarily, the way the program is set up. But um, if you build a $150,000 house in Gentilly and you're looking for, you know, a teacher or a police officer or someone uh, in a moderate income category to buy it, that person can use our program to buy wow. the house.
1: So there's an opportunity for partnership.
2: That's right. So, it take, you know, right now it takes a little coordination moving forward. We we want to have a more formal program that investors can plug into, whether whether it be a small investor or a big investor. Right. So we're looking at it, uh, but right now it doesn't exist. But one thing you can do is sort of back your way into it um, and and look at the qualifications that we have for our program. So if you think you can build homes for people that qualify for our program, then that, that is something you can take to the bank. That is something you can go to a bank and say, I have a buyer lined up. That buyer has their financing lined up. I'm going to build this house. They're going to buy it from me at this price. And you really have to go through a step-by-step like that. You right. have to walk your bank through uh, from A to Z. How are you going to give their money back? Right. How are you going to give your investor their money back?
1: So when you say build a house, now if, if it has to be new construction?
2: No, it does not have to be new construction. The home just has to be moving ready. Okay. So, so you can also find some houses that need renovation put some money into it, and make it move and ready right. for the family. Man, so it doesn't. You, ha- I'm sorry, it doesn't have to be new construction.
1: Man, so you're just dropping all of this good knowledge. Do they have finance authorities around the country? Is New Orleans unique in this?
2: No, no. There are uh, a number of finance authorities across the country. As a matter of fact, we're hosting all of the finance authorities here in New Orleans in May. We're really? Hosting, yeah, we're hosting a, the national conference. Nice. So we'll have all of those authorities here, but they go through the same problems. They go through the same issues that we have here. And what's interesting, I'm starting to see the tables turn, we've been dealing with this uh, water management issue for 300 years. (laughs) And a lot of uh, cities across the country, across the world, New York, San Francisco, now they're talking about stormwater and and hurricanes and floods and how do we protect our homes from the water that's coming in. So we live in a coastal city, and we've been dealing with these issues for a long time. So in many ways, um, New Orleans has some knowledge that other places would benefit from, but in, in in other ways, we're still on the same level as those housing agencies because we have the same issues. Right. poverty, low wages, blighted homes, Airbnb, um, just changing dyna- dynamics in, in communities.
1: So it sounds like that's going to be a, um, a good time and good opportunity for people to you know come together and really invest in the knowledge right to build and solve solve some of the issues that we're seeing across the country i'd love what y'all are doing man we the show always goes by quickly brother there are a couple of things we always want to drop some strategies and tips to our listeners and so what do you think you know if i'm beginning to invest in real estate mm-hmm. how would i put my ducks in a row to do that if i'm just beginning this process we know the first house but how do i put my ducks in a row
2: the first thing I would do is uh, take inventory of um, my resources. So, how much money do I have and who do I know? And, 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 <laughs> relationships, and, and, man, are yeah, big. Re- relationships have a value to them as well. So, it's not just about the financial capital. What kind of relationship capital do you have? So, mm-hmm. do you know a contractor? Do you know a real estate agent? Do you know a banker? Do you know home buyers? You know, do, do you know someone that has the expertise to help you execute? Because it's really all about execution.
1: Right, putting your team together.
2: So the first thing I would do is take inventory of whatever resources you might have, and then the second thing I would suggest, uh, which we don't do a lot of, or I'm, I'm generalizing, but I haven't seen a ton of it in the black community where we start pooling small amounts of money. And just start with one house, and then we'll move to two, and we'll move to three. So I I think pooling, especially in an environment where wages aren't rising and we're we're really fighting over the same dollars over and over again, I think pooling our resources is really important to wealth creation.
1: Right, and that's one of the things that I I, I really wanted to get at. I'm glad that you brought that up is that oftentimes we think – and that's a trust factor, and I think that's – this is a man show. That's a trust factor that we have as men of color, that there's a lot of distrust between us. And personally, having been burned by other men of color, you know, wanting to make sure that the people that I have around me I can trust. Why do you think that pooling your money is a better option than going in alone? Um uh,
2: I guess the simplest way to put it is uh – one percent of something is better than hundred percent of nothing. <laughs> and, and, yes, it is. And so it's just often very time, uh, very difficult to execute on your own because you may have one of the elements needed to complete a project, but they might be three different elements. Right. And right. You're gonna need Preach, people brother. and partners to help you develop. You can't do everything by yourself. It's just really, really hard. So. I think taking a group approach. You gotta have people you can trust. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a, a large those group those relationships, of people, exactly. But you need a team of people you can walk in a room with, because at some point you're gonna have to face the bankers. You're gonna have to face an investor, and they want to know that there's a team right. that's working together that can execute. So making sure that uh, you put people around you that can help you execute, if you know if you're the one driving it. So right. don't be afraid to to bring other people in. And I think the other thing, too, is when we start thinking about partnership, we usually only think about our friends and people around us. But there's an opportunity to go out and network and meet people that mm-hmm. are like-minded right. and start developing relationships with them.
1: What's I know you know. What are some places that people can go to build relationships around acquiring real estate um, here in the city it, national organizations?
2: Yeah, in in the city, uh, I think there are a number of organizations that are dealing with this. Um, The the Greater New Orleans Housing Alliance uh, is is a trade group, and a a number of developers, uh, particularly affordable housing developers, are Mm -hmm. members of that group. Um, I know that the Urban Land Institute has certain events for individual investors. Um, I think the Realtor Association, the local Realtor Association, also puts on some events. Uh, And there are a few others that, that... uh don't exactly come to mind just yet. But right. you know, UNO just just launched a new community development right. program. So there's and some things starting to pop up around the community. Right,
1: right. Last question for you, Damon. You know, we talked about the beginning investor. What can what can the seasoned investor do to continue to build that wealth? You no, know, we want to make sure who's listening we don't want we want to make sure that everybody gets something. That seasoned investor that wants to continue to grow their property. What's one or two tips you can give to them?
2: Um I think diversification is good. Uh, it, I've seen situations post-Katrina where uh, a group or groups of people had a certain amount of wealth, and that wealth was really concentrated into to one segment of assets. Right. And so when a disaster happened, it just – Wipe them out. Really wipe them out. That's overnight. a great
1: tip, Damon. So
2: I, I think if if you are seasoned and you've had the opportunity to acquire a substantial amount of property, no matter what kind of property it is, if it's a business, you should acquire more real estate. Right. If you've acquired a bunch of real estate, maybe it's all housing that you've done. Now it's time to get into commercial property. So I would say continuing to diversify your revenue streams because we live in a very tumultuous economy.
1: We right. Right, no doubt. Damon, I appreciate all the time, man. No problem, it means man. so much. I am humbled okay. by this opportunity to speak with you, today, and all of the knowledge that you have given our listeners. You've been listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Cooper. I want to thank everybody listening, everybody on Facebook watching, Rachel and Jazz. We will see you and hear from you next week and always be able to answer the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? Take care, everybody. I bought every 12
4: engine, wish I could take it back to the beginning, I could have bought a place in Dumbo before it was Dumbo, for like 2 million, that same building today is worth 25 million, guess how I'm feeling, Dumbo. Some artwork for one million. Two years later that could work for two million. Two years later that could work for eight million. I can't wait to get this to my children. Y'all think it's bougie? I'm like it's fine, but I'm trying to give you a million dollars worth of game for nine ninety-nine. Turn a two to a four, four to an eight. I turned my life into a nice first week release date. Mm. Y'all is still taking advances, huh? Me and my. Taking real chances, uh You're on the gram Holding money to your ear There's a disconnect We don't pull that money over here, yeah